All right. Well, it's a brand new series today. All right. I hope you guys saw the intro video. We're going to kick it off, go in a whole different direction for the next 30 days through the month of March. So get ready because I really believe God's going to use this to do some incredible things in your heart as he does some amazing things in our church. So get ready for it. All right. Uh, I want to say hello to everybody worshiping with us online as well as at our North Platte campus and all of you that are here scattered around in our Kearney campus. Man, thank you so much for choosing to worship God today. Thank you so much for being a, a church that puts Christ first on Sunday and just comes and worships. I hear people all the time. In fact, I heard people even this morning telling me, man, I love coming to church every single Sunday. And when I can't be here, Pastor, I love the fact that you broadcast online so that I can still be a part of it, whether it's from the Caribbean or it's all the way up in Alaska or wherever you're watching from in some foreign country. So uh, hello to all of our uh, New Life people that are traveling this weekend as well. Hey, if you were here last week, how many guys were here last week? Let me hear it from you if you were here last week. Come on. All right. All right. Um, so you, you were here last week. You heard about our announcement where Pastor Eric and Shelly are making in their heart. Okay, so we need to have joy for them. In their heart, they're making a joyful transition back to the Springfield, Missouri area. And I want you to know, as your pastor, I have joy in my heart for them. Now, am I sorry to see them go? Because do I think that they were incredible? Yes. So my joy isn't like, whew, all right, wow, we're free of those guys. All right. My my joy is that I've heard their story and you'll have an opportunity to hear their story on March 18th at 2 p.m. here at our Carney campus down in our high school auditorium where we'll have a going away or actually it's in our children's auditorium. My bad. We do so many things down there. Children's auditorium, 2 p.m. March 18th. Scratch that note. Enter that new adjustment. And what we're going to do is have an incredible time with them for like an hour and 15 minutes. You're not going to want to miss any second of it. Please mark it on your calendar and be there with us. But I told you that in light of them departing, it leaves a, a gap. It leaves a void that has to be filled. Most churches, to fill that type of weight of a position, it would take potentially months to fill that position. Okay, It could take a really long time. And that's what we were kind of like, that's what makes you as a lead pastor, like sick in your stomach, like, oh man, we're losing incredible people. What are we going to do about this? And then God gives us the solution. He gave us a solution so quick that honestly, I had to kind of ponder it for a little bit of time just to make sure that it wasn't just my knee jerk reaction and the knee jerk reaction of our board and our executive pastor, Pastor Chris, that we were just kind of knee jerking to this thing because it sounded so incredible to us. But as we prayed about it and we looked, about, looked at it and we talked about it, we all came to an incredible piece that what I'm getting ready to tell you is the direction that the Lord has given us. It is God's provision for his church. At our Carney campus, we have a, a couple, Matt and Abby Richardson. They've been serving with us in our senior high ministry. Little, little fact about them, Abby was actually in my youth ministry as a teenager Matt served as an intern with me at Flatland Church. I officiated their wedding. I'm old, basically is what I'm saying. Basically, I'm saying I'm old, all right? So uh, anyways, they've been with us for a long time and dear to our hearts. They know our church, they love our church, and they've served well in our high school ministry. 
We sensed that God was calling them to children's ministry and to make a lateral move. We presented it to them, and with tears in their eyes and conviction in their heart, they said, this is exactly what we sense God's been stirring in our heart. We had no idea that this opportunity would be given to us, and this is God's timing. We sense it's God's timing. They sense it's God's timing. So big celebration, guys. We don't miss a day with a, with a leadership gap in our children's ministry at our Carney campus. We make one transition from an incredible couple to another incredible couple, and we're expecting to build on the momentum of all of that because we really want to own this city when it comes to reaching children for Christ and discipling Jesus, or discipling children for Christ as well. So I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that, right? Come on, that's a good thing. Yeah. Man, that's, uh, that is God's provision. Awesome. Now, here's the interesting thing. Now we got a different gap. Now we got a gap in our youth ministry. What are we going to do with that? Well, we do have um, another youth pastor, Javen and Elise Troyer. They have served incredibly in our junior high ministry here at our Kearney campus. If you, have a, if you have a junior hire, your junior hire probably talks about Javen. Our talks about Elise and is excited about what's going on in their lives through that, that junior high youth ministry, six, seven, and eight. And um, th- what you didn't probably know is that these guys have been serving part-time and knocking the ball out of the park. We're going to bring them on full-time and we're going to make Javen and Elise Troyer our youth pastors here at our Kearney campus. They will oversee all of youth ministry, just like I did back in the day. Nate did back in the day. Chris did back in the day. And he will oversee it and manage it all and run it all and knock the ball out of the park. God has anointing on his life. Um, they came here not so that he could be our part-time youth pastor. They came here because Elise was going to UNK and she just recently graduated. And they were praying about it and going, God, like, what are you going to do with us now? Are you going to move us back to the Lincoln area where they came from? Or what are you going to do? Right? And they were trying to explore God, and then all of a sudden, God opens up this opportunity. We lay it on their, on their table in front of them, and inside of their heart, incredible joy stirs up, and they go, yes, we really feel like that's the reason why we're here, and that's what we want to do for the next number of years in our life. We want to serve the teenagers in this town. We want to own this town again when it comes to youth ministry. We want to reach more teenagers for Jesus, and we want to disciple more teenagers for Jesus. And I couldn't be more excited as a lead pastor because I've slept so well this past week so let's thank the lord right come on man you are so sneaky i love that i love it i'm so proud of our team you you have an incredible pastoral team at our carney campus and our north platte campus i mean these these folks are willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to reach the lost and to make disciples. Literally, they're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes. Now, they're also men and women that are compelled, not by what I tell them, they're compelled by what the Holy Spirit has gifted them to do. And I honor that in their life. They, they follow me and our team here, um, and that's just God's grace and mercy, and I value that, but they're committed first and foremost, to the calling of God on their life. So these transitions are not because I just asked them. These transitions are because they sense God's anointing and stirring in their heart to make them. And they're willing to make any sacrifice. 
My question for you today as we kick off this brand new teaching series, Lost and Found, is this. These guys are willing to make whatever sacrifice to reach a lost teenager or child and then make them into a disciple of Christ. My question for you today is this. What's a soul worth to you? We already know what a soul is worth to our staff. And we're going to discover through this next month what a soul is worth to God. Some of you have a pretty good idea of what a soul is worth to God. But that's not where I want to start with this series. I want to start very personal with you. What is a soul worth to you? What would you do to reach one more person for Jesus? What are you personally willing to do to reach one more person to Jesus? Would you sell your house? If one more person could spend eternity with God. Would you empty your savings account? If one more person could spend eternity with Christ, if you could be assured that one more person would not spend eternity away from God, but would spend eternity with God, what is a soul worth to you? Is it worth your reputation? What is it worth to you? What would you give up to see one more person come to a life-transforming relationship with Jesus? And then let's just take it one more step personal. What have you been doing lately, like in the last 30 days, to reach one more person for Jesus? So relationship with Jesus is by far the most important aspect of the, of the entirety of our life on this earth. But what's so interesting is that once we've been found in the faith, once we have you know, surrendered our life to Jesus, the classic is for us to turn inward and to lose sight of a dying world that's absent of Jesus. But we're easy to sit around the coffee table. We're easy to sit around the dinner table and to complain about the violence and the moral decay in our nation and around our world. But To participate in the solution by passionately communicating Jesus to our world is something that we typically shy away from. In fact, we even use the excuse at times, let's leave that to the so-called professionals. We even tend to make the mission of the local church, New Life Church, we tend to make the mission about us and our need, personal needs, instead of God's mission for the local church and his heart for the local church and his mission for us even on this earth. So what is a soul worth to you? I know what God's ultimate mission is. And part of it is found in 2 Peter 3.9. So we'll take the weight for a minute off of you. What is a soul worth? And let's go discover what is a soul worth to God. 2 Peter 3, 9 is where we're going to land today. If you have your Bible, if you've got your, uh, your iPhone or your Android device, your Google phone or whatever it is, and you want to follow us on, um, on Uversion, I would highly encourage you to download that app. I've got these scriptures and a couple of other things that are on there just for you if you want to follow along. And the nice thing is that you can always save that and keep it for as long as you'd like. Any notes that you type in there, you can save as well. Our key verse for today, though, 2 Peter 3.9, it says that the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. The promise that Peter's talking about here is the promise of the return of Jesus for his church. Now, I grew up in church all my life. I've been hearing from my grandparents and from my parents, Jesus could come back at any day since I was just a child. But here's the thing, I'm still here on this earth 
and I'm 48. So what do I believe? I believe Jesus could come back at any day. Not because of what they said to me, but because of what God's word says. We do live in a time period that's been for some period of time, it's been for many, many years, that Jesus really could come back at any moment. And church, I think we need to know that, right? The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise of returning, as some people think. No, he's being patient for whose sake? I think you should say, really, he's being patient for my sake, for your sake. Those of you that are found in the classic sense of our title, lost, found, those of you who have been found in Christ, surrendered your life to him, he's being patient for your sake. New sentence. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So what is God's heart? And what is a soul worth to God? First, let's start by dissecting this passage. God is being patient for your sake. For your sake. That the patience of God is first extended to the found. So if you're here today and you have a life that's being transformed by Jesus and you're walking in relationship with him, the patience of God is first extended to you. See, the church that Peter was writing to was a church that was under severe persecution. Right? This was a church where you know, people were sacrificing all types of physical things and health Um, and jobs and finances so that the gospel of Jesus Christ could be propelled forward. But this was also a group of people strongly desiring the return of Jesus quickly to relieve them from the pain and the suffering of their persecution, and I cannot fault them for that. Like, I would be in the same boat in that situation, and so would you. So here comes Peter, he comes along, and he, he wants to remind them that, look, all you guys want is heaven, All you want is heaven. Notice how they're just turning inward, right? All they want is an escape, basically, from the pain and the suffering of the persecution, and they want to move on to this life eternal with God, which, amen, I think that every believer should want that. But the patience that Peter was describing had a benefit for them on this earth, and that's what he was going to try to get across to them was, hey guys, open your eyes up. Like you're on this earth for a reason. Maximize it. Stop trying to escape from it. Don't be lazy about it either. Like use it. Maximize this moment. But for them to get it, they were going to need to know why God had not returned yet. Why Jesus had not returned yet. And why they were still on this earth. So a few verses later, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter gives them a glimpse into the patience of God for your sake, which is still pertinent for us in this time period. Why? Because Jesus has not come back yet. So let's look at these next few verses in verse 14 and 15 as we look at what God's heart is, why he's giving us patience for your sake. Here's what it says. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, here we go. Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in God's sight and remember that the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So it's obvious, like right off the bat, it's obvious that you know, the found are not to be sitting around being lazy in their faith 
And the found are definitely not to be sitting around just hoping, like shuttle, or, or, like sheltered in this room, waiting for Jesus to like miraculously take them up, snatch them up to heaven. Like they're supposed to be avoiding the world in some capacity. No, that's not what he says at all. In fact, he says that God's patience toward the found gives you the opportunity for three critical things. And the first one in this passage was this, to be found living peaceful lives. That's, that's why we're still here. Like, as a person who has found Christ, one of the reasons why God's patience is for you is so that you can learn what it means to live a peaceful life on this earth. Now, what really does that mean then, right? Like, is that just to like not have arguments with my neighbors because, God, right now I'm good with that? Like, I don't even talk to my neighbors. How could I have arguments with them? I'm not saying that for my sake. I'm saying that for your sake. Many of us don't even know our neighbors. How in the world can we not live in peace? We don't know them. And we got nice fences up, so we don't have to even see them. And they could keep their junk in their backyard and our privacy fences up, and we can keep our junk in our backyard, and we can just drive into our nice little houses with the doors that open and close so that we never even have to know them. And then we get online and we talk to complete strangers. It's amazing. It's an incredible world that we live in. It's an incredible world. But he says to live in peace, live peaceful lives. First, he's talking about living peaceful lives here, guys. In our American our American blessed culture, living peaceful here is one of our biggest challenges. First, peace comes when you're confident with who you are. Who you are. Secondly, it comes when you're confident with what you're doing. And third, it comes when you're confident with why you're doing it. You answer those three questions here, you live in peace here. You live in peace here between you and God, then you have the opportunity to really be a peaceful person externally. But unfortunately, all too often, we don't live at peace here. But we think we're living at peace this way. We're not at peace here. Like, we gotta come, to, we gotta come back to the basics. Like, are we at peace with who we are? Are you at peace with who God made you to be? Your self-image is your self-image built on the precept that I am loved by God. Although I am weak and I am frail, strong is his spirit within me. When you look in the mirror, are you pleased with what you see? Like as if you were looking through God's eyes, not through the enemy's eyes. Are you at peace with who you are? Because if you're not, then, then you're not learning what it means to be found. You're not maximizing why we're still here. And if you're not at a confident place of peace with what you're doing, like I am doing what God's called me to do, then you're not at you're not at peace here, and you're definitely not going to have peace out here then. We've got to get to that sweet spot of fulfilling you know, God's purpose for our lives. If that's a teacher or a police officer working in a, in a nonprofit or working in a hospital, right, or being a, a secretary or fulfilling whatever role it is that God's gifted you to do, a stay-at-home mom, whatever that looks like for you, I'm content with what I'm doing Come at peace with that here. You'll be at peace with others there. And then why are you doing it? Like, what's your motive? 
All too often, we might be at peace at those first two, but our motive now is not at peace with God because our motive is selfish and it's to gain what we want to gain, not to build God's kingdom. Again, that goes back to what is a soul worth? So being at peace with why you're doing it, is it a motive driven from a biblical perspective following the leadership of the Holy Spirit to build his kingdom, like a friend of mine talked about over coffee, you know, this past week, that look, I, Jeff, have have a lot going on in my life, and I'm blessed in many different ways, but one of my massive concerns is this, am I leaving a fingerprint on this earth that has built God's kingdom if my life were to end tomorrow? And it's in a way kind of haunting him on the inside to generate plans and ideas. Am I leaving a fingerprint of building God's kingdom? Or is the fingerprint when my life is gone, is it just going to blow away like the dust because it was just all about me? That's, church, what it looks like to live at peace. Then, secondly, in the passage, he turns around and he goes, oh, and to be pure and blameless in God's sight. Now, when I read that, you know, in preparing for this message, it's probably the same experience as when you're reading it right now. Like, well, I've already failed at that. And I'm having, you know, that's a difficult thing to stay, you know, pure and blameless in this world. I got it. I got it. But listen, here's what he's really trying to say. You get the opportunity for being found in the patience of the Lord for your sake is so that you get a chance to grow in the knowledge of God's ways. That is God's ways. God's ways is to live pure and blameless. Why are we still on this earth then? One of the reasons is to get to know his ways and get to experience the gift of grace, by the way. The gift of grace like a never-ending river that flows from the heart of God, from the very throne of the Lord, if you will, that was set up through Christ to cover a multitude of sins. What a humbling experience it is that daily we get to experience God's grace. How profound it is to capture God's heart when daily we have to recognize, I'm not good enough. I'm in need of God's grace. Not by works can I be saved that any man would boast, but only by really the grace of the Lord. But to be pure and blameless in God's sight, we get the joy of obeying God's ways. Well, you know that it feels good at work when you've got a task to get done and you do it the right way and your boss comes along and they give you the accolades. And even if your boss isn't willing to give you the accolades, you still have the joy in here. It's the same thing with God, just like it is with a child to obey their parent. There's something rewarding about it on the inside. Church, we're getting this opportunity on this earth to learn the joy of obedience to the Lord and there's only one way to accomplish it. By surrendering your life to the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. So that's the second thing. That's the second thing why God's patience, you know, is for your sake. But here's the third thing. So that, don't ever forget, he says, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. But he's writing this to the church. He's not writing the letter to the lost. He's writing the letter to the found. So there is an action step then for the found to participate in seeing lives saved. Like God chose you to participate in his master plan of salvation. He chose you to participate. Like being found doesn't instantaneously pull you out of the world and stick you into the confines of a church facility. 
so that you can be sheltered from the world. No, the being found is to empower you to be sent into a dark world to be a light. The light of Christ living through you. You get the ultimate joy of sharing Jesus and watching people come into a life transformer relationship with Jesus Christ. That's good news. So the benefits of God's patience for your sake are profound and they're life-changing. And if this is like still somewhat kind of going over your head for some reason, let me bring it down to your level for a second. Many of you have an IRA of some capacity, a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, or you have... um, You might have a 401k, you have maybe a 403b, you have different vehicles for which you are hopefully saving money for retirement. Now, if you know anything about that, okay, then you'll know this, that you put money away for retirement and you have to leave it in there, right, until you reach a certain age, till this point of maturity. And if you try to take the money out before then, what happens? You get penalized. If you leave the money in and you let it mature and you get to that certain age where you can start using it, then you get to maximize all of its benefits, right? In the same way, God's patiently waiting while his investment, his investment of Christ is growing in the heart of mankind. And God is patiently waiting while his investment multiplies throughout the generations, Winning children and teens and young adults and moms and dads and grandmothers and grandfathers throughout the generations that God's patience endures so that the lost might be found. But church, I have good news for you today. God is getting ready to make a massive withdrawal from his spiritual IRA. Jesus is going to come back. He is going to come back for his church And I think the question that you and me need to really be pondering today when we're asking, like, what is a soul worth is this. Will you have participated in the growing of God's investment? Or will you have just benefited from it? It'll be one thing to stand before God as a benefactor of his investment, Christ living in you. It will bring a whole other level of joy to stand before the Lord, knowing that you didn't just personally benefit it, from it, but you invested into it by leading others into the way of Christ. What is a soul worth to you? So to continue to discover God's heart, we're going to jump back to 2 Peter 3.9 one more time. We already looked at the first part, like the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. But what's the second part of that? God does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. So what is God's heart? Like, what is a soul worth to God? God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but God wants everyone to repent. We do have the tendency to forget what God's heart is really beating for. Like, right now, God sits on the throne. As he sits on the throne, and if I can put it into this perspective... His heart beats. What does his heart beat for? Like, what is the real passion of God for right now? You would be correct if you would say this that first, God's heart beats for the lost to be found. It's not for the found? No. Secondly, it's for the found. It beats for the found. But here's how it beats for the found that we would be so passionate for God that we would want to participate in his mission. What his heart first beats for. 
If there's a front and back beat to God's heart, it's the lost and then the found. The lost and then the found. And that the found, the first part of their heart would beat that the lost would be found. That's what God's heart beats for. God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, just like this passage said. Like God didn't create humanity to send them to hell. God created humanity to show us grace and to spend eternity with, with you and me forever with him. And this is what Romans 11 tells us about that. It says that for God has, look at this, it's an interesting scripture, for God has imprisoned everyone, you and me, in all that have come and all that will be here, all generations. He's imprisoned everyone in disobedience so that he could have mercy on everyone. It might sound weird to you, but throughout scripture where we entertain the idea like Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of God's grace, meaning all of us have broken God's law. We are sinful in our very nature. Just look at a three-year-old three-year-old, right? Don't cross the line. Steps across the line. Don't hit your brother. Bam, hits the brother. You can even say kind things like, don't kiss your sister again in public. Kiss the sister. But a three-year-old can also show amazing love, right? So we have this sin nature, but we also have this attribute in us that wants to be obedient to God and wants to follow him. And this sin nature needed a savior. That's why God sent Jesus while we were still sinners. I mean, who dies for someone before they know if they're really going to value it? Like, who gives up their life before they know that the people they're giving up their life for is actually going to value the sacrifice of surrendering their life? Well, that's what God does. See, God wants everyone to recognize their need for him and to repent of their sins. He wants them to repent of their sins, like to recognize I'm breaking God's law. And so I'm going to turn the other direction. I want to break free from the chains of sin. And I want to trust God and I want to follow his ways. God finds zero, zero percent. God finds no joy in seeing us destroy ourselves in sin. So what God said in his own words in Ezekiel, he said, do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Says the sovereign Lord. Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and do what? Live. That is God's heart for the lost. So what could we do? We should strongly desire God's heart for the lost to be our heart for the lost. That's number one. Today, I want you to come with that attitude. God, I want my heart to beat like your heart does. Here's the second thing. If you're found, live found so that you can participate in reaching the lost. Remember what it was like to live found. Live at peace. Break the chains of sin and live blameless. And then get God's heart for the lost. Because I'm gonna tell you what, New Life Church exists for the same purpose that God's heart beats for. First and foremost, it's to reach the lost. Secondly, it's to encourage and equip the found to fulfill God's mission while God's patience lasts. So I've got a creative idea that I wanna do for you today. You were given a ribbon when you walked in the door, right? At all of our venues. I want you to tie the ribbon around your finger. You're not going to be able to do it. You're going to need someone else to help you. But I want you to tie the ribbon around your finger, just like the ribbon's tied around my finger right now. And why did we tie like little strings around our finger? Where did that come from? 
so that you can remember something, so, right? so you don't forget what you're being told. I don't want you to forget for the entire month of March. I don't want you to forget this. I want you to think about this often. What is a soul worth? I want you to think about that with me. What is a soul worth? If you will take this challenge with me for the next 30 days, I believe God will use something as simple and as crazy as a little piece of ribbon tied around your finger to remind you what a soul is worth. What's a soul worth to God? You're going to find out throughout the month of March. What is a soul worth to you? And what I want you to do is daily do something about reaching a soul. That could be praying for someone, right? That could be sharing with someone. That could be, uh, you know, praying for them privately or praying for them publicly. I mean, I don't know. God could use a number of different things in your life. But secondly, here's what's going to happen for you. If you'll take this challenge with me, because I'm going to do it too. If you'll take this challenge with me for the next 30 days and just wear this ribbon around your finger tied, here's what's going to happen. People are going to come to you and they're going to ask you this crazy question. Why do you got a ribbon tied around your finger? What are you going to tell them? I'm giving you right now, this is love. I'm giving you the easiest way to ever tell somebody about Jesus. You want to know why? Because you're not going to have to start the conversation. They're going to start it for you. And when they ask you, what's the ribbon for? All I want you to do is tell them, tell them the joy that you've discovered in just being found. And then invite them. Tell them whatever is in your heart to tell them, and then invite them along in the journey. Now, in inviting them, meaning, meaning that you can invite them to give their life to Christ right then if you want to. You don't have to bring people to church to do that, by the way. But if you choose to, by all means, I'll work with you. Right? We'll work with you. And invite your friends to church with you. Profound idea. It's going to be the easiest. You're just going to wear this thing. And I want you to think with me, what is a soul worth to me? Every time you see it, thank you, Lord, that I'm found. What's a soul worth to me? And when people ask you, you tell them and you invite them. Is that something you can do with me? If it is, then here's what's getting ready to happen. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for just a short moment, just to wrap us up. And while I'm praying, our worship team is going to come out. They're going to lead us in a brand new song. So I want you to stay seated wherever you're at. Just stay seated wherever you are. And then the worship teams will invite you, the worship leaders will invite you to engage with them. But this song is really the essence of the heart of this teaching series. I want you to watch the words. I want you to let those words get into your heart. But while this song is going on, turn to someone else and have them help you tie this thing on. Tie this thing on before you leave today. If you're going to take this challenge, do not leave today without tying this ribbon on. And let's say, let's think together and let's pray together. What is a soul worth to me? And then when people ask, you tell them and you invite them. Let's pray. You stay seated. Lord, we thank you. I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to give his life on the cross that we might be saved. Lord, I thank you that through the gospel of your, of your word that you give us the opportunity to engage with you in sharing the good news with others. And I pray for this congregation of people that, Lord, as we go about this month, that we would do something as foolish in a way or as simple in another way as just wearing a green ribbon around our finger just to remind ourselves 
What's a soul worth to me? What am I willing to sacrifice? What am I willing to give up? What am I willing to put in harm's way? What is a soul worth to me? And may that become so profound in our faith as we learn what a soul is worth to you over these next 30 days. Lord, do something spiritually profound in the hearts of this church as we do something as simple as to wear this ribbon. And Lord, may you fill their hearts and their mouths with the words to share with others as they ask, what's that ribbon about? And may you give them bold and incredible faith to invite friends and family members to come along in the journey as they wear this one little ribbon. We love you, Jesus. May your favor and may the power of your spirit rest upon this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen.